Episode 5 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast takes off now. Hello aviators and welcome to episode number 5 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Today we are interviewing I Am Rochelle, the Instagram page that has taken over Instagram. I mean, she has close to 100,000 followers and she inspires men and women of all kinds to get into aviation. In this episode, we find out why she chose aviation, how she was able to pay for a private pilot license, how awesome the aviation Instagram community is. We talk about Rochelle's foundation, the iHeart Flying Foundation, and her plans to provide scholarships for women in aviation, the difficulties of scheduling check rides and how winds and weather can affect those, how she has flown pretty much every aircraft ever made, including a C-17 and a T-6 Texan, why now is the best time to be a pilot. We both share stories from high altitude chamber, and trust me, you do not want to miss those. Plus, we have much, much more. Now, this episode ran longer than I thought, so I split it into two episodes. This is going to be part one, and part two will be coming out shortly after this one. In part two, we focus mainly on what it's like to be a woman in aviation, and we answer the questions that you guys have specifically asked Rochelle. I hope that you truly enjoy these podcasts as we've been working very hard on them. Please leave us a review on our iTunes page, whether it's five stars or one stars. We want to know what we can do to improve these podcasts. We want to make the best content possible and help people get into aviation. I hope you guys have a great day and enjoy the podcast. Happy flying. And without further ado, I am Rochelle. Hey, Rochelle. Thanks for joining the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. No problem. I'm glad we could work it out. Yeah, me too. I really appreciate it. So let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to go ahead and ask you a couple questions just to get to know you and why you got in aviation. What was the uh, initial interest in aviation for you? Well, to begin with, I never thought I would be a pilot. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) I mean, I've been in the music business uh, pretty much my entire life since I was six years old. And um, back in August of 2010, on Facebook, out of all places, uh, randomly a flight instructor reached out to me and said, hey, Rochelle, come for a free flight and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, living in Los Angeles, people BS you all the time. So I'm like, okay, how about tomorrow morning? And go and honestly, I've been flying ever since. I mean, I was hooked from the first day that I started flying. What was the name of the flight school? Do you remember? Uh, Van Nuys Flight Center. Uh, it was a a flight school out of Van Nuys, and that's where I did all of my initial flight training uh, through through uh, my multi-engine training. So what was your first flight like? Was Did you have any expectations that you were going to like it or have an inkling that you wanted to be a pilot before then? Uh, actually, none whatsoever. I... I mean, you know, when you're younger, you're like, you're fearless, you don't, you're not scared of anything. You're like, yeah, let's do this. And so I'm in the left seat. And I'm like, okay, he says to me, okay, well, I'm gonna have you do all of this. And, you know, I was like, okay, and I, I was, I had a great opportunity. I, the plane that I started my training in was a 172S with a G1000. So, you know, I started out with, you know, glass panel. And, you know, I'm very fortunate for that, because, you know, since I have progressed through my training, I have been able to, you know, continue down that same path. Awesome. I've flown 2100 hours, and I still have not flown a plane with a glass panel. (laughs) Oh my God. <laughs> I know, right? All my 172s were made in the 70s or 60s, and then I've flown old 310s. I've, the Pilatuses that we have for our company are the third, sixth, and tenth ever made. So we're flying some old aircraft. Oh, wow. Yep. So it's pretty cool. All the Pilatuses and all the caravans, we even own DC-3s, but what our company does is they usually buy planes that have been wrecked, and then they rebuild them and repurpose them for 
either to sell them to other corporations or to even use them on the line? Well, you know, that's smart because you're saving money doing it that way and you're, you know, realistically making a brand new aircraft when you do it that way. You started your training how long after your first flight? Oh, it sort of just started that day, I guess. And um, I started flying multiple times a week. And, you know, I was very fortunate when I did first start flying. And the reason why I was able to fly multiple times a week was because uh, they were looking for more women to be involved with aviation. So um, they offered me uh, a scholarship to do my whole private pilot training for free. They genuinely wanted more women involved. They didn't care who I was, how much money I had, none of that. And it was really really thanks to my first flight instructor. His name was Bill Monty and excellent pilot, excellent CFI. We're still friends. Actually, he's one of my closest people in my life to this till this day. Well, cool. So with you trained in Van Nuys and you said, I think we talked earlier and you said that it took you seven months to get all the ratings that you needed. Um, no, that was, that was afterwards. I actually, um, they said that I was one of the fastest people without aviation knowledge to complete my private pilot certificate. So I started in uh, mid-August 2010, and I finished within uh, two months later. Wow. Do you remember how many hours you had when you took when you got your private pilot license? Over 100. Oh, wow. That's a lot of time in that short yeah. period. <laughs> you really went we after it. We spent a lot of time in that airplane and we had a blast. That's awesome. What's it like flying over uh, the Van Nuys in the LA area? Is it pretty busy? It is super busy, super packed. And honestly, I'm so lucky to have been able to do my training in such a highly congested area just because it makes you that much better of a pilot your speaking skills with all the different you know ATC and SoCal and LA Center or whoever you know you're speaking with and it just really keeps you on your game really fast and like I said it just really makes you a more competent pilot. I agree I remember when I was training uh, we were I was lucky enough to train out of a towered airport too but it wasn't to the same aspect of you flying in LA. It was just a small Delta airport outside of Columbus, Ohio. And it was such a blessing because a lot of new private pilots are so scared to talk to people, so scared to get an IFR flight plan or to just talk to approach and tower. It's just really confusing for them. So since you had that knowledge that just set you up in the future to be a better pilot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, Van Nuys is class Delta airspace. And we're right next to Burbank, which is class Charlie airspace. And then obviously, we're really close to LAX, you know, class Bravo. So I mean, you have to be really careful, paying attention and very precise with whether you're flying VFR, VFR flight following tower and route, you know, whatever you're choosing, even IFR, because it is nuts, even trying to go from Pasadena to San Diego. I mean, the last time I tried to do it, IFR, I mean, it was craziness. They changed my altitude. I mean, it's a 25 minute flight in my Columbia. And I mean, they changed my altitude like three times, my route like seven times. And I mean, I was all over the place. That's crazy. Yeah, we uh, we fly to New York every once in a while. And I'd imagine it's pretty similar to that. We go into JFK and they change your route probably every 10 minutes. They have a full route clearance within the next 10 minutes of you copying your previous one. So pretty crazy. Oh, I heard that going into New York and all of those big airports are like nuts. And if you get something wrong, or if oh, you're yeah. not, I mean, you don't hear something, they will like screw you like no tomorrow. Yep. You gotta be you gotta <laughs> be on your game because they're not very forgiving. No. <laughs> did they have any other women that were training and doing this program? Or was it just you? I did not see any other women. They were all 
predominantly male. So okay. I was the only female at that time. And then shortly thereafter, after I had finished my uh, PPL, um, they actually went out of business because there, I mean, that's when the crash really hit, especially in the aviation market. And, you know, not many people were flying or buying aircraft for that matter. Yeah, general aviation took a big hit in 2010 in that time period. And that's when I actually started flying in July of 2010. That's when I took my first flight lesson. So definitely know what that was like in that time period. It wasn't the best time to get into aviation. No. Yeah. So it was interesting. So I like was really lucky. Heck, you were just a month before me when uh, we both started. Yeah, I have a little different story than you do. My dad was actually my dad and grandpa both flew for the airlines, but I played sports my whole life. And I always thought I was gonna make it to the pros. And then I got to Ohio State and I was like, wow, these guys are really good. I need to start thinking of a backup <laughs> plan. And I was like, well, I tried business classes and they're so boring. I just couldn't wrap my mind around anything. And I was like, well, I guess I should get flying a trance. And I took a flight. And ever since then, that's all I wanted to do. Wow. I can totally relate to you because it's very addicting. It, it is very addicting and it's very expensive. So it is awesome when you have a scholarship to do that. Yeah. Have you seen more women in aviation than when you started flying, do you think? Or do you think it's still about the same? No, I have seen more women, especially with being on Instagram, which is an amazing outlet to meet different people that come together with a common passion. Um, and I am heavily involved with the within the aviation community and very lucky to be a part of it. And with channels like Instagram that can give you a bigger outreach to those people. And yes, I have seen uh, many other uh, female pilots in many different capacities, whether it's general aviation, we have military aviation, and we also have, you know, the airlines. Completely agree. And I agree with you too. Instagram aviation community is such an awesome community where everyone I've reached out to has always responded. They've been very nice. They offer help. Everyone's here to help each other, which is an awesome thing. No, I, I completely agree. And it's really about, like I said, coming together with a common passion, cheering and applauding each other's successes, because we all have different paths, life paths that we're you know, going through, and our journeys are all going to be different. Completely agree. So we talked about earlier about how you're starting a foundation called the I Heart Flying Foundation. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Oh, yeah, that would be great. Um, the reason why I have decided to start the foundation, which is called the I Heart Flying Foundation, is because one, I heart flying. And, you know, that's my whole thing within aviation is pink and hearts and fun and excitement, yet very informative and safe. And there are so many opportunities within aviation that I feel young women don't know about at an early age or even given the opportunity to consider aviation as a career. And like I had mentioned earlier, that I was lucky enough to receive a scholarship to do my whole private pilot experience, which got me started within aviation. And, you know, I really want to pay that forward and help others achieve their dreams within aviation. That's so cool. It's so cool to see that you have a heart to help other women and help people get into aviation because I mean, that's the name of the game. We're all here to help each other. And it's awesome that you're looking to set up that foundation. Yeah, uh, there's so many different opportunities within aviation. And I think by going out there and talking to young women and children about the opportunities that are available to them, and they may not have the resources to be able to achieve those dreams. And that's where I come in. Because I'm so like I said, I'm so grateful to be able just to fly. It's such an amazing experience that I want 
to be able to share that experience with others. That's so cool. Well, thank you for doing that because I know that there are going to be women out there that really appreciate that. And that could be, who knows, someone listening to this right now might hear that you're doing this and look up your foundation and want to get going and start being a pilot. So it is really cool. Do you have any good stories from your training? Do you have any maintenance issues? Did you struggle with any topics? Did you like all your flight instructors? Um, well, I was lucky enough to have my same flight instructor, Bill Monty. I had him for my private pilot license, my instrument rating. Um, he sort of was still around, like I said, during this entire process, whether it was my multi-engine commercial, my single pilot type rating in the jet. Um, you know, it, he's been such a great influence, you know, with me throughout this journey of mine. And I would say maintenance issues. Yes, anybody that deals with airplanes, whether you are going through a flight school, aircraft ownership, whatever it is, there's always an issue. I mean, <laughs> I mean, every time you get in your, the airplane, I feel like it's like something else, whether it's like an avionics issue <laughs> or a maintenance issue, you know, a tire, you know, your brakes. I mean, whatever it is, I mean, it's always something. And, you know, after years of doing this, you just have to like let it go and laugh and say, okay, yeah, you know, just like the weather. I mean, do you know how many times I have gone to fly or during my flight training where, I mean, it was crazy wind gusts or the Santa Ana's come in and it's like, there's no way you're going to fly. I mean, actually, it's really funny. Um, when I was doing my, um, my uh, DPE out of Van Nuys uh, with Greg Lewis for all of my ratings except the jet type rating. Um, <laughs> two times we were trying to schedule both my um, multi-engine and my commercial um, ratings. And on those mornings, there was a TFR because President Obama was coming in. No. <laughs> yeah. What are the chances? Yeah, and they, these are several months apart. And I was oh like, you know gosh. what? I said, that's like just my luck. <laughs> so then, then, you know, what happens is, is then, you know, they're all, these DPEs are so super busy that, you know, now I have to schedule weeks out. So you know what that means. More time, more money, more practice. Yep. And <laughs> because, you know, you want to, I mean, I give 110% when I go on these check rides. You know, a lot of people looking at me think, oh, yeah, she's female, she gets a free pass, or oh, she has money, she gets another free pass. Well, you know what, it doesn't work that way. The FAA, these airplanes, they don't care who you are, your gender, how much money you have, you need to know how to fly the plane, period. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, the FAA doesn't care how much money you have, or they, they're not going to pass you just because you have money, or say you're a woman or a man or whatever. You need to know how to fly the plane, and you need to know how to handle emergency situations and to show that you're competent enough to do that. Yes, exactly. That's really nice that you had the same flight instructor. I had probably, but just getting my private pilot license in general, I think I had five flight instructors because at Ohio State every semester or every quarter, they'd make you change to a new flight instructor just so you could, if something, you had an issue with someone, you could get a new one. And in some oh, cases wow. it helped and in some cases it kind of held you back because when you got a good flight instructor, you wanted to keep them, but then if you weren't done with your your rating in time, then you had to start pretty much start over with someone else because they had to learn the tendencies that you had of flying. Wow, that's crazy. Definitely consider yourself lucky that you had the same flight instructor every single time because that's that's a big deal. Okay, I guess my my lucky streak uh, continued throughout my uh, you know aviation journey. <laughs> there you go. 
So how were your check rides overall? Did you would you say that your check rides were as hard as you thought they were going to be, or was the private pilot license check ride harder than your other ones? I would say when I was do when I finally did uh, my private pilot check ride, it wasn't hard. I was, I mean, I think we are all our own worst critics, for sure. And we we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect and not make mistakes. And at the end of the day, those mistakes could save your life because it makes you go back, repractice and get you even more prepared, you know, for whatever may happen, you know, during one of your flights. And honestly, I mean, some of the mistakes that we do are stupid, you know, silly mistakes. Like, like for instance, um, the first day that I went out to do my private pilot check ride, I was so adamant that I had to go out and do it that day. The Santa Ana's came in, the runways were reversed at Van Nuys. And I was literally taxiing out and they told me to turn left on uh, to t- the one taxiway. And I turned right. I turned the wrong way. And then I did a 180. And Greg, uh, Greg said to me, okay, well, that's we're, we're done for today. <laughs> so I mean, that's was, was my luck. So yeah. I mean, I so yeah, obviously I learned my lesson and, you know, I turned back and I was like, gosh, darn it. You know, how silly of me, but you know what? I went back out the next day or whatever it was and redid it and it was fine. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> check ride nerves are, are no joke. And it's a lot of times when I finished my check rides, it was a big sigh of relief. And I was also surprised how like it was easier than I thought it was going to be not to underestimate. I don't want people to underestimate their check ride. Like you should always go in with the mentality that it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever taken because it's a big unknown. You have no idea what they're going to ask you, but if you trained hard enough and if you said, if you give 110%, you should be leaving there with your head up high and that you passed and feel good about what you did and might be able to feel that it was easier than what you thought it was going to be. Well, yeah. And if you're competent in what you're doing and have done it enough times, the DPE or FAA examiner should be able to throw anything your way, you know, within obviously the range of what your knowledge is at that point, And you should be able to, you know, complete those tasks accordingly. And I'll say a lot of times, not all the time, because I'm sure there are those examiners and that are out there that actually need to fail someone so they don't pass everyone. But a lot of times they know if you're a competent pilot and they're not going to fail you on every little thing. They're just going to want to see that you can do stuff correctly. And I mean, eventually you have to be within the standards. You can't be out of standards every time, but they're going to help you out if they can. Well, exactly. And it's not their goal to go out there and fail you. They want you to succeed, you know, and and they also to educate you. And if you're doing something a little bit that's not right or whatever, you know, they'll sort of talk you through it. So, I mean, that's what's really great about it. No, I completely agree. They're they're there to help you. They want to see you succeed because kind of like what we're doing here, we want people to get into aviation and stay in aviation and they do too. So we're all big team when it comes down to it. Oh, yeah. And I I mean, just some of the funny things that, you know, happened even during my um, instrument check ride with Greg. And because my airplane is it's a a Columbia 400 and I have it painted uh, pink with hearts. And (laughs) it's uh, it's a really fun. It's a really fun, uh, you know, paint scheme. And, you know, we were doing a tower and route from Van Nuys over to Camarillo. And, you know, I I sort of knew the setup and it was it was so great. I literally nailed that check. That day could not have gone any better. I mean, because the, the controllers are awesome. Um, then I go into Camarillo and I land and the guy in the tower is like, wow, I love your paint job. And then I <laughs> land, awesome. I come back around, I took off. And then another guy says, hey, you want to come for a tower tour? <laughs> You're like, sure. <laughs> and, yeah. 
And so Greg, you know, is over there and he's just laughing. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it was I, like I said, I, and then even the guy in SoCal was awesome. So uh, like I said, I knew when I landed, I nailed it. And I was like, woo. And I said, Greg, did I pass? He's like, well, you have to taxi back and then <laughs> I have to have a one hour after flight oral exam. That's and crazy. I said, because he was trying to be funny because yeah. anybody that knows Greg Lewis knows that trying to get this guy to laugh or joke about anything <laughs> is very difficult. That's awesome. That's really funny. Yeah. I, whenever I took my check rides, I'd always be like, so how to do, how to do They're like, well, just as long as you don't kill me between now and taxing back to parking, you're good. And I was like, okay, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. So what kind of aircraft have you flown? So I fly a little bit of everything. I fly single engine, multi-engine piston aircraft, uh, jets. I do have uh, some helicopter experience in the uh, Robinson R44. Cool. Um, Looking to finish my rotorcraft add-on here soon and hopefully another type rating. That would be nice. Um, (laughs) But uh, so I started out in the 172S with the G1000. And then shortly thereafter, um, I mean, I've flown in, you know, the Cirrus SR20, the SR22. Um, I have flown in the Eclipse 500, 550, um, L39 Albatross, C17 Globemaster, Citation no Must. Yeah, awesome. I mean, I have I, I do a lot of stuff for the military air force and, you know, the Marines and Navy and all that fun stuff. And I'm a contributing writer for Fighter Sweep and Sweet. a couple other um, military publications. So, you know, I really have the opportunity to go check out like the heavy lift community That's or cool. Hill Air Force, you know, Hill Air Force Base to welcome the two new F-35 Wow. lightning twos team so i mean that's pretty cool the, yeah so i mean i love anything aviation so um let's see citation mustang uh cj3 so I, I fly a little bit of everything oh also um when i was doing um some charity work with the condor squadron out of van nuys um i had the opportunity to fly uh several t6 texans oh that's really cool that was a lot of fun so you have flown a ton of aircraft Oh yeah, I forgot. Plus, I have I have the DA forty, DA forty two, the DA sixty two, which nice. was really awesome because that was the first one brought into the United States that I was able to fly. That's cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I so, I, don't, I haven't flown as many aircraft as you, but I've flown a couple. But that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So no, it's it was uh, so much fun, and I'm so you know grateful for all the different opportunities that I've had. That's so cool. Uh, yeah. Getting to fly a ton of aircraft has been one of my goals. I mean, I, I have a weird story. I didn't do flight instructing. I went to an aero survey company and they have so many different types of airplanes. And it was so much fun to fly. I got to fly Aero Commander, the same one that Bob Hoover flew. Not the same exact one, but the same model. So it was kind of cool to pretend nice. to be Bob Hoover for every once in a while. Wow, that sounds like fun. I mean, who doesn't love, uh, you know, R.A. Bob Hoover? I know, right? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, did you see that video of him where he's doing the roll and he's pouring the glass of water? And it, yeah, so awesome. Yeah, I did never, yeah. I never try to recreate it, but yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> he's, yeah, no, he's he was such a wonderful man. Yeah, just to have a cool like whoever who even thinks about doing something like that. Like it's cool <laughs> to have that that creative mind and giving his abilities what he could do in an airplane and putting them together. It's really cool to see. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Even Clay Lacey said that he was still the best test pilot to ever live. He was a beast. So here we're going to talk about your goals in aviation a little bit. What what do you want to get out of flying or aviation in your career? 
Well, I guess anything aviation. I, like I said, I am so heavily involved within the aviation community and uh, I'm a member of the CJP, which is the Citation Jet Pilot Association. And, you know, it's just, I've had so many amazing opportunities and met so many amazing people that, you know, I get to travel to different locations and we meet up and we do different events. I mean, I got to cook with Guy Fiede. No way. Uh, That's from, awesome. Yeah. And I won um, third place for some cooking competitions. So, I mean, it's just the crazy stuff. I mean, we, we do trips up to Napa and, you know, we, uh, they used to have some stuff with Camus and, you know, the Wagner family. And so, I mean, it's just, there's so many different things you can do if you meet the right people. Right. And, you know, I guess my goals, my personal goals would be to just continue growing as a pilot. I mean, because I always say if you're not learning, you're not growing. There, I, I don't I, I don't care if you have a thousand hours or 10,000 hours. There's always something new to learn. And, you know, you just cannot have that macho attitude. Nope. How a lot of a lot of pilots, you know, get complacent to where they're at, and they think they're greater than that airplane. Well, you know what, in an emergency situation, I'm sure as you know, and everybody else knows, it doesn't go by the checklist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. This this emergency is going to happen like this, this, and this. No way. I mean, I've, that's just not how it goes. So, um, like I said, I want to grow as a pilot. I want to learn as much as I can to be a safe pilot. I want to continue to be able to mentor, educate, and inspire others to get excited about aviation. And I mean, as you know, right now, this we have the least amount of up-and-coming pilots in the history of aviation, and especially women. And I believe this is because of the, you know, all the new FAA rules and restrictions that have been imposed on all of this, which therefore equates to more money, more training, and stuff that people, you know, don't have. And I really think aviation in general needs a new, fresh face to get people excited about getting involved. And so that would be really my goal. And like, for instance, I got invited through the 99s to speak this Friday at Career Day at one of our local schools to numerous groups of children. And this is exactly what I want to do. It's so important to instill this information into these kids at the at this age, at these different ages. I'm doing, it's uh, grades one through five, groups of 60 to 80 kids each. And I mean, this is going to be a day they're going to remember. And that's why I, I'm, I'm going to make it that way. So I'm sh- I know I'm going off on all of these tangents, but there's so many things that I want to do and share with people. And um, I guess that's, that's really what it is for me is giving back and really helping cool. others, you know, I guess with anything in life, it doesn't have to be just you know, aviation, but you know, it's, it's, that, that's really um, important for me. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear that you like to give back. And I love you when you talk about not having that macho mentality and you always want to be a safe pilot because we've talked about this earlier. The plane's going to humble you. Like you're not going to be macho your whole life. Like you might be able to be pretend to be macho, but you're not fooling that airplane and that airplane might have different idea for you another day or another flight. So you always have to have the mentality of always learning. And once you have the mentality of you're not learning or you're going to get behind the airplane really fast and 
just hope that you can get back in front of it because sometimes airplanes aren't very no, forgiving. No, exactly. And, you know, like I said, there's always something new to learn. There's always new people to meet that you can, you know, look up to and learn from and grow from. And I think that's really what this process is about. Would you ever want to fly for an airline or maybe like a corporation? Or do you think you just want to stick to flying just general aviation? Well, as much as I, okay, before I got my first type rating, I have a single pilot type rating in the Citation Mustang. I thought, oh, I want to go out and get multiple type ratings and, you know. (laughs) Fly all the planes. Fly all the planes because I was so excited (laughs) about it. Well, okay. First off, it's no walk in the park, as I'm sure you're aware with, you know, dealing with type ratings. <laughs> oh, I yeah, mean, definitely it's not. Info overload, and it is a lot of hard work. And my DPE that I had, Jeff Rock, um, out of Long Beach, oh my God. I mean, he was so difficult. He's one one of the toughest DPEs there is. And you know what? That's exactly what I want. Um, I don't I don't want a free pass because you know what? Uh, as much as I would love to have fun flying and take pictures and all your GoPro stuff or whatever, <laughs> I want to be safe. And with being safe, I and with being able to fly single pilot and obviously, you know, pressurization issues, I took that extra step. I flew out to OKC and I did, a, um, a, I got my chamber card uh, and I did all of the, the high altitude and survival training because that to me is important, you know, and I, yeah. I would highly recommend that to anybody. And actually, I have a really interesting example to share with you about my Go for check it. ride. Uh, I'd love to hear it. Uh, so I, I don't have a lot of hours. And I um, at that point, I was a lot lower hours when I was doing my single pilot uh, check ride in the Mustang. And many men and many people says, oh, you're not going to be able to do it or I can't do it or whatever it is. And I had a lot of obstacles get in my way that made it take you know, three times as long and cost me four times the amount of money because there were so many men in the flight school that I was involved with did not want me to get that type rating because I was a female and I was, I mean, God forbid a woman, you know, get a, you know, single pilot uh, type rating or, you know, have money. Wow. You know, that's, that's like for, that's forbidden. And, but you know what? I pulled up my bootstraps. And I'm like, you know what? I want this so bad. And this is so important to me uh, that I was like, I'm going to keep on keeping on. And I did it. And it was really interesting because the day of my check ride, I had my oral exam with Jeff took about an hour and a half. And then you know, we went up to do the check ride. And it was so interesting because the next day um, when I came back, Jeff, because I uh, had some other stuff to do at the school the next day, um, he pulls me into the room because he was doing another uh, t- uh, check ride for this Navy pilot. And apparently this guy had thousands of hours, like the owner of this flight school was like bragging to me. Oh, yeah, you know, he has 2500 hours. And he was in the Navy. And he has a single pilot, uh, a 525 type. And this is going to be a breeze for him. Well, because I saw Jeff coming in and he looked pissed. I said, what happened? So apparently this guy thought he was going to get a free pass because he knew the owner of the flight school. Okay, so his oral took four hours. Oh, wow. He never even finished his check ride. I mean, so it was funny. So Jeff pulls me in and he's like, Rochelle, I did not realize how few hours that you had. And he's like, you know what? I would trust you any day of the week to fly single pilot than this guy. He's like, go out and pre-flight the airplane. Uh, I don't even need to watch you do it. 
That's awesome. That's a very big testament to you and your skills. Yeah. So um, I was like, wow. Okay. So I go out to the airplane and I see this guy coming out of the plane and he looked really flustered and upset and stuff like that. He didn't even shut the airplane down right. And I, oh, I, no. I was like, holy crap. And this guy has a single pilot type rating in the citation. That's just a prime example of, you know, you don't need to have thousands of hours to be proficient in an aircraft. If you, <laughs> you know, to say, hey, well, you know, I have 2,500 hours and, uh, you know, I'm a better pilot than you. <laughs> And it's like, oh, this guy thought because he was better than everybody else that he was going to get a free pass. And you know what? Again, that's not how this works. Um, there are numerous times where when I was doing my training that airline guys would come out to try to get checked out on 172s. And I'd say two out of 10 probably, they will not let them check out the airplane because they, like you said, they thought they, they flew a 747. They have 20,000 hours. They shouldn't even have to take a, an intro flight to the 172 and do a checkout. Like they should just be able to get the keys and go. But a lot of them, the instructor didn't feel safe in their landing and he had to take the plane back from multiple times. So oh my God. it doesn't matter what you fly, you always have to be learning and there's a big difference between say the citation and the plane that he flew and the check ride or gotta trust your flight instructors and you gotta treat every single check ride or check out like it's the most important flight of your life yeah no absolutely i agree 100 percent for sure and then going you talked about how you went to okc for the altitude chamber what was that experience like oh boy okay so it was it was so much fun because uh three of my other pilot friends we set it up to go together and um so my other two i, I took one with me and then the other two that i met there one was a former um air force pilot that flew the a-10 and who's now flying for JetBlue. and my other friend uh abe has uh an eclipse 500 and also um flies uh the Le the legacy 500 as well so oh, nice. we were all like getting together to do it and we had a blast and what is real was really humbling about the experience is we all have different symptoms and our tolerances are so different than, you know, one another. And it was scary. It was, at least for me, it was scary. And, you know, the other guys were able to last a lot longer than myself, especially my friend uh, Lee, who was in the Air Force and went through all of their training. But uh, it was really funny to see how many people got to the point where they didn't realize <laughs> that they were about to pass out before they put in their mask on. And you can see like your body goes into like these convulsions and then you put the mask on and get the oxygen going and you wake up and you have no recollection of what just happened. Yep, that is true. It's funny you brought that up because my company took our pilots to do this, not in Oklahoma City, but I guess they have a traveling chamber that they go to certain cities. And we went to the one in Pittsburgh and it's like this glass enclosed room uh -huh. that they pump up and fill to make it feel like you're at 25,000 feet. Yeah. Well, when we got there, they had it pumped up and filled to make it feel like you're at 30,000 feet. And they're like, look, I just want to let you know that you're probably going to start feeling dizzy right when you sit down. Like yeah. it's going to hit you really fast. And they gave us this whole sheet of paper to do math equations on, sure. to spell, to do all this other stuff and write down our symptoms. I kid you not. I felt like I was in there for 25 seconds. I felt like I sat down. That I put my mask on and we got out, but it took us five minutes to go through the whole thing. And I was the first one to pass out and I was not proud of myself. <laughs> my chief pilot was there and he said that by, I think I lasted like three minutes, but by the third minute, he was like, Justin, how many symptoms do you feel? And I held up my fingers and I had four and he goes, aren't you supposed to put your mask on at three? And I just started nodding my head, but yeah, I stuck my yeah. tongue out at him. I just like started sticking my tongue out at him and like smiling and biting my tongue. So and they're like, they're dying laughing, everyone that's watching me. And 
I don't remember putting my mask on. I just remember waking up and I was like, wait, what just happened? Did you put it on or did somebody put it on for you? They said I put it on. So I guess, I, like you said, I don't have much of a recollection. I just remember staring. I remember staring at my finger and just fixating on one, on the pulsometer on my finger the whole time. <laughs> That's awesome. And then they're like, how are you feeling? I was like, uh, not very good. <laughs> That's funny. But it's funny you say how it affects different people because, I mean, I fly a single pilot a lot and we do, we do the Pilatus, we go up in the flight levels and they're the older planes. I mean, you got to be on, you got to know your stuff and be on your toes at all times. You never know what could happen. And it was good to see what my symptoms are. And it's also cool to see how other people have different symptoms. One of my other buddies, he didn't put his mask on and for him that he made it to like the fifth minute and he, they had him pretend like he's flying like an airplane and had him turn left and turn right. <laughs> yep, yep, and then all of yep. a sudden he started pointing at, he's like pointed at that guy and he pointed at him and then he lost all motor function and he just started passing out and they're like, put on your mask, put on your mask. And the guy had to get up and put, put it on, on for him. Oh my God. Yeah, it was really funny though. It was a lot of fun. If anyone is out there listening to this and you have the opportunity to do this, it is a must need. I almost think it should be a requirement by the FAA if you want to get your high altitude rating. Yeah, no, I know. Absolutely. And you know, another thing that I would highly recommend is upset training. I, um, had uh, several different emergencies that I've encountered with my flight controls jamming. And um, it was very, very scary. And uh, several, it actually happened four different occasions. And the last time that it happened, I, you know, honestly, I thought I was going to die. And, but, you know, the thing is, is you have to calm down and get back to your basic, you know, piloting skills, you know, uh, you have to, you know, slow the airplane down, you have to coordinate the aircraft, you know, do everything that you know what to do. So after the last time that it happened to me, um, I had fortunately, <laughs> it was interesting, the timing was perfect. It was um, around Thanksgiving 2015, I met Marcus Payne, and Marcus had reached out to me on Instagram go figure. And <laughs> I know, know, I know, go figure. And we yeah. had some of the best conversations and he had this attitude flight school in Arizona and, and oh, cool. at Marana airport. And so, um, literally the day after this emergency happened, he says, why don't you come down and uh, let's do some training. And I was like, Absolutely. So I literally had 11 hours by the time I got home from that trip, got ready, jumped on a plane and hopped down to Arizona. And Marcus and I got in his Super Cub, we got in the Super Decathlon and, you know, did some upset work. And I couldn't tell you one, it was so much fun. He was an awesome person. And unfortunately, you know, he passed away uh, in August last year. So Oh, yeah, he was in a plane crash because he did the whole air show circuit. And oh, yeah, yeah that's really yeah, sad. He had a steerman that he would do all of his like aerobatics in. So anyways, um, you know, I was just very fortunate to meet him, call him my friend. And the fact that he, you know, genuinely wanted to help make me a safer pilot. So I would definitely suggest you all doing upset training. For sure. Yeah. If you can do anything to help you out, if you have the money and the ability to do it, by all means, go for it and try it out. Because like you said, it's gonna make you a better pilot. So what, what, why not do it? Yeah, exactly. And you can apply it. It's like you, you never know what's gonna happen in the airplane. For my type of flying, we have to, 
everything you do is on demand. So it's get there as fast as possible. And it, sometimes you have to fly through some, some weather that's not necessarily the best weather. And there's been many times the autopilot's kicked off and I have to grab the airplane and stop it from doing what it was doing and fly it safely again. So I'm sure upset training could help in that situation. Well, sure. And, you know, especially when there's embedded thunderstorms and, you know, it's, it's always just best to be safe. For sure. Always best to be safe and always best to do all the training, do everything you can to prevent the situation on the ground rather than get into a bad situation in the air where you can't get out of it. And exactly. And I always tell everybody, you know what, if you're scared or nervous about something or, or something bothers you, you know what, ask for help don't fly alone, you know, don't, don't risk or just don't take the risk. It's okay to know what your limits and limitations are, because you know what, we all have different tolerances for everything and what we are comfortable with. For sure. And you learn by going with people. You said our company, when you first start, they send you with someone so you can experience everything and they could, they can be there to help you out in those times and kind of help you figure out what your tolerances and limitations are and, like you said, just be the best pilot you can be, but don't ever push it to the fact where you don't feel comfortable because that's when you might be just something could come up that you don't know how to handle and you only have a certain amount of time to, to fix it and you might not be able to do it unless you had that training or had that person there to help you. Well, exactly. And I'm. this is just to be a little bit funny, but we've all been there, okay, on takeoff. And if you're wearing like a Bose or powered headset and your batteries go dead. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and you're like, Oh no, I can't hear anything, but I have to, you know, do my, uh, after takeoff checklist first. So, you know, and then then you're trying to search for some batteries (laughs) or when you, there's pilot error and you forgot to turn on the the A&R on your headset. I've done that many times where I have to turn it on right after I take off. You're like, Oh crap. Yeah. Yeah. This is way too loud. Exactly. (laughs) need to protect my ears. Well, cool. Well, I have, uh, on this podcast, I do kind of a rapid fire section. The questions aren't too hard. It's very simple, but I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. There are probably like eight of them, and it's just going to be the first thing that comes to your mind. They're all aviation related. Okay. What is the favorite plane that you have ever flown? Oh, boy. Favorite airplane that I've ever flown. I would definitely have to say uh, the C-17 Globemaster. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I would agree. It was probably <laughs> one of the coolest experiences of my life, especially with the with the in-air refueling because uh the um kc-135 tanker took off before us and uh oh my god you should see this thing coming at you it was it was just absolutely it was obviously very sexual (laughs) it's like whoa you know here comes the boom (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny that is really cool that you got the chance to find a globemaster not many civilians get the opportunity to do that and I definitely have to uh, thank my friend Jeremy from Planes and Pianos because he is the one who, you know, set that up for me. All right. What is your dream plane? A plane that you would love to fly, have the ability to fly. It can be any plane in the whole world. Okay. The Phenom 300. Ultimate single pilot jet ever. Would you prefer Piper or Cessna? Oh, Cessna. Cessna all day? All day, every day. What's your favorite airport? Favorite airport. Okay. I love uh, Napa, Napa Airport. Okay. And my, my second favorite would be Centennial. Centennial. Cool. Never been either of those, but maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> would you rather fly over cities, mountains, or the country? Uh, I would say cities because at night you get the best uh, you know, lighting. Would you prefer long trips or short trips? Uh, long trips. 
Is there any one flying accessory you have to have when you fly? Oh, my Bose A20 headset. Bose A20s. Yeah, I love my Bose A20. It was a complete game changer when I went from my David Clarks to the Bose Oh, yeah, yeah. There is no comparison. Yeah, it has saved my ears on multiple occasions, (laughs) and I'm sure my wife will appreciate the fact that I'll still be able to hear when I'm 80 years old. What are your favorite aviation Instagram accounts that you follow? Okay, um, obviously Wing Boss. So boss, I, travel on. Yeah, travel on. Um, Instaplane, Patrick. Yeah, Patrick's great. Oh, yeah, ab- he is fantastic. And then uh, let's see. my. Oh, obviously, I will give a shout out to my friend Jeffrey, the pilot. Bose Aviation, uh, which I'm a brand ambassador for. And then also um, Aviation Life Clothing. Cool. Yeah, I follow. I followed them since I started Pilot the Pilot. They were one of the first ones I followed. And I think that's the first time I ever saw your account was through them as well. Yeah, and then um, recently I got linked up with Drone Tech Films, and his name cool. is William, and his content and the things that he produces um, are amazing. So um, awesome! Uh, yeah, I've always wanted to get a drone. I need to. Oh, just I think it'd be so cool to create some videos with drones and see what they can do. Oh yeah, I mean DJI has just completely taken over the market, and yeah. I mean, their products just obviously blow GoPro out of the water. Yeah, the Mavic is pretty cool. Yeah, I just saw it uh, last week when I was doing my whole Aston Martin shoot. We had three, we, yeah, we had three DJI drones flying at the same time. We had the commercial one, which is the the Matrice 600. We had the Phantom 4 Drone Pro, and then um, the Mavic. Oh, cool! That's awesome. Yeah, did they notice? Did you did you see the footage on them? Would you say you could notice a big difference between the three? Okay. And quality. Okay. Well, I know the quality is uh, there's a huge difference, obviously, between the three. But to a normal layperson like myself, and the stuff that we're looking at, we're looking at you know Instagram or YouTube. You know, right. I mean, I don't notice a difference, but you know, apparently, you know, if you're a photographer looking for you know 4K top notch footage, I mean, you know, they're the company to go with. What are other Instagram accounts do you like to follow? Okay, well, um, I absolutely uh, love Therese. It's this uh, really fun workout clothing company out of New York City, and their leggings and stuff are like really cute. As if obviously, if anybody looks at my Instagram account, I'm always in workout clothes. I'm either I'm planning I'm planning my day around my workout, so I make sure I do it, and I'm coming back from it. Even when I fly, I love to fly, I, and when I do fly, I like to be comfortable. But I still like to look cute when I'm flying, so I'm always like, so I've, I'm I'm like really into wearing all of these funky leggings <laughs> when, awesome. when I'm flying. So they're they're really uh, fun, and then obviously Quest Nutrition, who. Um, are an awesome group of people and uh, their products are amazing. And um, I would highly recommend following them. Yeah, no, Quest has has saved my butt many times. Like uh, the type of flying we do, we there are times where I fly for my duty day will reach twenty hours and for planned completion. So there are times where you survive off protein bars, and I've survived off Quest bars for quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. thank you, Quest, for everything that you have created and come out with. Yeah, well, it's it's it has saved your butt and it has decreased my butt size. So <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's awesome. And with that, we're going to go ahead and end part one of two of the I Am Rochelle podcast. Part two is also up at this time, so go ahead and check that out. 
Leave us a review on our iTunes page, five-star review or one-star review. Just want to know what we can do. In part two, remember, it's going to be what it's like to be a woman pilot, how to overcome any difficulties or are there any advantages to being a woman pilot, and we answer the questions that you guys have specifically asked I Am Rochelle. I hope you guys truly enjoyed this episode, and as always, you can reach us at pilot2pilothq at gmail.com or send us a DM Instagram at pilot2pilot. We hope to see you guys soon. Have a good one.